This podcast was brought to you by the Australasian Integrative Medicine Association, AMA. FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today is Jackie Evans. When Jackie Evans learned to take her love of herbal medicine and apply it to the art of concocting natural beauty products, she quickly realised there was no turning back. Ten years and tens of thousands of bright bottles later, Jackie's skincare range is stocked throughout the world and her unique botanical formulations are disrupting the beauty industry one product at a time, which I've got to say I love. It was through learning about the effects that traditional skincare chemicals can have on the skin and body that forever changed the direction of Jackie's career and she became determined to show people there was a safer alternative. Today, her range, Jacqueline Evans Skincare, has 100 stockists in Australia, is featured in the bathrooms of some of Australia's most acclaimed restaurants, and was named one of Australia's top 100 beauty brands by Style and Beauty Bible, Vogue Australia. It has been sold alongside the likes of beauty giants Kiehl's and Napoleon Purtis. Did I say that right, Jackie? You did, say that right, well done. <laughs> and Jacqueline is only getting started. So please join me in welcoming Jackie Evans. Jackie, hi. Hi, thanks Andrew, thanks for the nice introduction. You have an incredible career. So can you please take our listeners through this? You are a true entrepreneur. Thank you, thank you. That's Nice to hear that. Yeah, so uh, look, my journey began many years ago. I've been in the natural um, medicine industry for a very long time. I um, It all started back in high school mm-hmm. when I was chosen to study Chinese and I carried on and, and learned Chinese at university and it was there that as part of learning Chinese language, we had to learn about Chinese philosophy and, and Eastern philosophy and Eastern medicine, and yeah. I really became interested in in that style of, of medicine. And so I quickly changed direction and enrolled in naturopathy. And after I finished studying back in 1999, I packed my bags and headed over to England. And was young at the time, but yeah. found myself. In a, in a really fortunate position where I worked for a pharmacy over there as a naturopath. And this pharmacy was pretty groundbreaking at the time. You know, this is 20 years ago. Um, and it was groundbreaking because we had no drugs on site, despite being a registered pharmacy. If someone came in really? with a headache or a cold, we would just go out the back and, and create a specific herbal formula or prescribe a vitamin or supplement for them. So there was there was no drugs on site. Wow. Um, but a big part of what they did within this pharmacy was manufacturing skincare. Hmm. And I really, my mind was blown. You know, I'd spent all those years learning about what we put in our bodies but had never considered what we put on our bodies. And I completely fell in love with the, the science and the alchemy of creating formulations. So I spent two years um, working under this pharmacist and developing the skills to create uh, skincare and body products. Mm. And then I returned to Australia and I I just knew I didn't want to work in a clinic setting. I knew that I needed to understand a lot more about science and biochemistry and wanted to really work behind the scenes, understanding the research and the science that goes go, goes into our industry. So I found myself getting a job for ARL Pathology, which um, has been bought out a few times since then. Yes. But they, they were the, the leaders in, in functional pathology at the time. So functional pathology is, of course, the uh, science of providing pathology to practitioners, to both GPs and naturopaths, 
but it's testing to look at the function of how the body's working rather than just excluding um, or diagnosing disease. disease yeah. So you're really trying to understand how organs and systems are actually functioning. And this is so important for um, practitioners to remove any guesswork. It's, it's really important for um, patient compliance as well. But also it's, it's excellent just for getting a baseline and being able to monitor treatment efficacy as well for patients. So I, I spent 10 years um, working for the lab. I started off as a, in a technical support role where I would speak with GPs and naturopaths once they got a pathology report back and they needed assistance in interpreting the results. I would go through what the result means based on the, the patient's presentation and then we would discuss treatment strategies from there. Um, Eventually, I worked my way up and ended up managing the functional pathology department, so I was technical manager, and it was here that I really got my hands dirty in the science and education for practitioners. Um, I was fortunate to spend a lot of the time traveling Australia and the world, attending medical conferences to understand what was the next thing in medicine that we needed to know about. And then I would bring that back to the lab, sit down with the scientists and the pathologists and see if we could work up an assay to be able to test some of these new markers that were emerging in medicine. So um, I did some really cool things like working in the field of nutrigenomics. Um, I brought the MTHFR test to life, which ah. is, is now so widely used yeah. for autism and infertility and, and various other conditions. Mm. Um, we looked at leptin for, for appetite control. Um, we were able to open the doors for naturopaths to access general pathology as well, mm. um, which is incredible for practitioners to have that available in clinic. Um, so it was a pretty exciting role. It was a really fast-paced environment working in the laboratory um, doctors and practitioners need results straight away um, it's it's a very accurate setting everything has to be completely accurate and handled very well mm. the laboratory is amazing because all of the functional pathology testing uh, is performed by the same scientists that are performing all of the general pathology testing um, and it's all done within a accredited laboratory setting yeah, as well I think that's important Oh, it's so important. Mm. It's just pathology testing is just such an important thing for practitioners to incorporate into their clinic practice. It just gives them such an important tool. Um, So, yeah, I spent 10 years there. Um, I wrote the uh, functional pathology um, textbook, um, which has seen three editions now, which is a great resource for practitioners to get all the clinical information and um, interpretations of pathology testing. Mm. So burning away inside me, though, was always this constant need to manufacture skincare. You know, the whole time I was working full-time in the lab, I'd come home at night and I was mixing up formulations and blending up formulations in the kitchen and in the garage and wherever I could in the house. And I was giving creams and moisturisers to friends and family. Right, and okay, the yeah. demand quickly grew. Yeah. And I, I sort of couldn't hide from it anymore. I knew that I had to do more with this this side of me that just loved the science of, of making creams. And then I kind of drew this link that sort of led me to go, I can take this leap, I can manufacture skincare full-time. But in the time at the lab, I um, really focused and developed a big appreciation for female health conditions and was constantly alarmed at the amount of hormonal profiles I was seeing that, that showed hormone, hormonal disruption in females. Mm. You know, we were seeing PCOS and endometriosis and infertility, even chronic fatigue, just this constant swell of hormonal conditions. And then I sort of drew this link where I remembered that there was a class of preservatives, the parabens, Mm. which are known hormonal disruptors. And I kind of clung on to that and went, well, that's a tiny bit of the puzzle that might be causing some of this hormonal disruption in females. You know, it's a tiny bit of the puzzle, but it's when you put the whole puzzle together, it's it's a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. 
So that was what I clung on to and thought, right, I'm going to launch a skincare brand that's going to be entirely safe, entirely natural, and something that, that women can use, and particularly if they've got any hormonal conditions. So I resigned from my job in the lab and went full-time into manufacturing skincare. That is so that, a massive leap of faith. Jackie, huge. <laughs> most most people like I'm 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 trying to follow what you must have been feeling, and most people would cringe and would cower and go, "That's too much of a thing." You know, I need a million dollars plus to start a skincare range with all of the, you know, the procurement, the ingredients, the bottles, the advertising, the marketing. The, most yeah. people would not do it. What was yeah. it inside you where you went, "Hang this, I'm doing it." What what's different about you? Yeah, sure. Look, it certainly wasn't um, a whole lot of money behind me. It was completely self-funded. Do you know what? It was just the feedback I was getting from the people that were using the skincare right. that they loved it. They wow. loved the products, and I actually really love creating them. It it actually is still my favourite thing to do yeah. when I sit down. I call it my little lab here. When I sit down in the lab and I get out all the ingredients and I blend the oils and the water and what you start with, you know, 10, 15 ingredients and you end up with this incredible cream, it's incredibly satisfying. Um, and, you know, back then as well, natural and organic, it's still incredibly overused, those, those words, but natural and organic back then had a certain look about them mm -hmm. and... I just thought, why isn't there natural and organic products that look really good and can sit alongside all of the mainstream products in mainstream shelves? Why does natural and organic have to scream, I'm natural and organic and I'm using, you know? They, they all have that certain look. Yeah, hippie, <laughs> yeah, hippie, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, and I really wanted to disrupt that and create something that, was natural and organic inside, but didn't scream it and, and still looked good along all the mainstream things. So um, it, it did also help that I was approached by um, a television network at the time and they said, we want to feature your product on a morning show tomorrow morning. How did they find and out about you? That was through really sort of through word of through a friend of a friend of a friend right. and they'd, they'd heard about it and they contacted me and said they want to showcase your products tomorrow morning on um, one of the morning shows. I didn't have a website. I <laughs> I'd had the branding done, but yeah. I, I seriously did not have a website. So literally overnight, I created a website with uh, a wow. friend who helped me with the design yeah. and. It launched. So that was kind of the thing that, that pushed me and I sat back and waited for all these orders to roll in and, you know, I was, we were in the morning show against Aesop and Jerlik and all the big brands Yeah. and nothing really happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that didn't matter. You know, that didn't matter. It, that was the thing that forced me to do it. So it started and there was no turning back for me um, from that point on. And nine years on, mm -hmm. it's still going and the challenges are different. Um, as the business grows, there's always different challenges, but um, I, I just can't look back now. Can I, can I ask you, Jackie, mm. you mentioned a couple of brands there which are known, mm. you know, for their, you know, clean formulations, their quality raw materials, things like that. How did you, right, little old Jackie, how did you start to look at things like, well, indeed, you, you had already started, but how did you um, jump over those hurdles of things like quality herbal procurement, mm. um, quality mm. issues, stability issues, um, yeah. you know, and repeatability? You know, you get it from yeah. one place and then you can't get it again. What, like, how did you approach these hurdles in business? Look, it, this is a really interesting topic in skincare. Um, the market's becoming really saturated at the moment with, with natural skincare brands mm -hmm. and a lot of people that are sort of home cooks, for want of a better word, that are, that are manufacturing in the kitchen. And the industry is still largely unregulated. 
I, I was, as I said, really tired of of big companies misleading consumers with the words like natural and organic. Yeah, yeah. and that's um, still happening with, with today. <laughs> oh, God. It's still, it's absolutely still happening today. <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, skincare doesn't have to be registered with the TGA as long as we're not making therapeutic claims. However, there are absolutely mandatory labelling requirements for the labelling of all of cosmetic products manufactured or imported into Australia. Mm-hmm. And so um, all labelling um, and manufacturing has to comply with information standard, which is enforced by the ACCC. So um, I got help. I got help with how do you write a label to ensure that it complies with, right. with standards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in terms of choosing ingredients, um, you know, I, I always work with suppliers that do good quality control testing. You know, as the business grows and as I'm working with bigger wholesalers, you know, I've just started importing into urban outfitters in the state. So their requirements from me are quite large. You know, I have to provide them with material safety data sheets and certificate of analysis. So when you're working with good suppliers, you know that you're getting that information. Yeah. And, you know, nature can be pretty inconsistent. So that's you need nature. to ensure. <laughs> yeah, that's nature, absolutely. Um, and I've seen that many times, you know, where ingredients can change um, a lot depending on what's happened happen with the seasonal variations. Um, and, you know, like with anything, there's huge variation in quality. An example of that is I use argan oil, which is this incredible oil that comes from Morocco. Mm. Um, And I love it for a couple of reasons. One, it's um, incredibly sustainable and supports employment of um, a huge percentage of women across southwest Morocco. They use it in cosmetics and food and cleaning products over there. And it's become very widely popular for hair care um, worldwide. We were one of the first brands to use it. In skincare, it's it's incredibly high in vitamin E and does amazing things for for skin cells. Yeah. Um, how, how did you find out about argan oil ahead of a market? I, I, I guess where I'm going here is, you know, here's you. How did you approach the procurement? Where did you mm, go to find mm, where to Im, even import? You know, oils, I know. let alone good I know. ones. You know, I know it's it's amazing how things come about and I've got this incredible distributor um, out of Morocco, Um, just researching and sourcing and, you know, you you begin to know, you know, like I I get argan oil samples which are are rich and thick and intense in colour and, you know, I know I'm working with a good one Mm. and then I'll see other ones that are really light and and thin and and watery and don't have the same colour and the smell. So, I mean, by sight and feel, you you get to know the quality of ingredients. The organoleptic Um, testing. Absolutely. Yes. But also, also, can they provide me with um, the quality control tests and and the safety data sheets? So you you get to know your supplier and um, the quality of what they're they're providing you. Mm. But it was my sister. My sister actually travelled to Morocco and... Um, came across argan oil there and spoke to some of the women and she brought me back home a sample and then I researched it and looked at its ingredient profile and the constituents in it and I mean it's it's a pretty remarkable oil in, in what it does for the skin so it's um, yeah I use it across two two of our products um, You're saying something so, that's so, really interesting me Jackie and that is women mm, so in such a male dominated society like Morocco mm, how is it that that the women are finding or or gaining benefit from farming, supplying the argan oil? What's happening there? Yeah, the women are, are the ones um, collecting it and producing it, essentially. So wow. the women are the ones working with it. Yeah. Um, and it's the argan nut, but it's, 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 it's the females that are working with it and producing it and turning it into an oil um, that's ready for export. Great. So um, I've also got to ask, when you're talking about, uh, you know, like we've mentioned probably countless times um, throughout FX Medicine podcasts about the issues of normal makeup, chemicals in normal makeup that women put on their eyes and their skin day in, day out, indeed heavy metals. Yes. There's no 
law to make manufacturers um, disclose heavy metal testing or anything like that, and yet we know that there's issues with certain ingredients. Mm. A, how did you become aware of this sort of thing? How do you get around it? How do you make sure that your ingredients don't contain those? It all comes back to the supplier and the information they provide me. So it all comes back to their quality control testing that they've done and their certificate and the product specifications. Um, Yeah, it it really all comes back to that and just doing the research with suppliers um, and ensuring uh, that they're not contaminated by heavy metals, um, that they are safe to use. yeah, and, uh, you know, there's a handful of suppliers I work na- with now and so I-, I know when I'm choosing ingredients from them that they're going to be safe. So, and that's taken a lot of time gotcha. to to build that up and get to know who to work with. Um, yeah, that all that research was done sort of all initially and, you know, now it's pretty safe. And that's why I think a lot of our customers, Choose our brand. They they almost now you know you you talk about read the read the label read the label read the label don't put anything on your skin that you can't pronounce or you know you wouldn't eat and and all that sort of thing. But you get to a point I think that people trust your brand and know that there's not going to be anything in there that's that's not safe. Forgive me for giggling, but I'm just <laughs> when you say don't put anything on or in you that you wouldn't be able to pronounce. Hang on. Camillarius luteum. I know. <laughs> like, you know what? Botanical names. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. And that's something, uh, do you know why I often, um, when people say that, I often disagree and say, well, that's not even true. Because as ingredients, the realm of ingredients that are available under the natural banner now is just rapidly improving. Yeah. I mean, um chemists that are manufacturing skincare, there's so much more available. People are wanting more natural things. So even in terms of preservatives, some of the preservatives, they sound like chemicals, you know, potassium sorbate and glycerol caprylate. Um, They're natural preservatives that we can use and they're safe. So I I completely agree with you um, (laughs) that it's not always about Arctostaphylus um, uva ursi. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> so I love the the um, binomial nomenclature pronunciations and the the tongue twisters that you can get into with that. But I do I do want to cover a couple of topics here, and that is the chemicals that you want to avoid mm. versus the ingredients that are safe and that you want to include. Yes. Can yes, we go through yeah. that a little bit? Because I find, I think our listeners would like to know which ones, because I'm sure that they will be confused. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do want to start off this conversation by saying we don't like to scare our customers. You know, I think people can make this topic sound really frightening by going, oh, you're using that, that causes cancer and this can do that. And it's never been our approach to to scaremonger people into or frighten them using into using natural skincare. Yeah. We like to talk about the benefits of natural skincare. We do like to educate on why you don't use certain ingredients, um, but it's certainly never our approach to to frighten people into to using natural skincare. Mm. Um, you know, look, it's said that by the time a woman's got ready in the morning and before she's walked out the door, probably or a male as well, we've exposed ourselves to between 15 and 50 chemicals. Um, A deodorant alone might contain up to to 30 chemicals. If you see the word um, perfume or fragrance on um, a body product or skincare, that alone could have 3,000 toxic chemicals inside of it and they can just call it fragrance. So we do need to be aware of of labelling, absolutely. Um, We know that the skin is, a permeable membrane. You know, we only need to think of a nicotine patch and how that's applied onto the skin and the nicotine reaches the bloodstream to to curb the tobacco cravings. So we know that um, via the skin is is absolutely a way to penetrate um, the bloodstream. So when you're applying a serum or a lotion or a cream, it encounters the uppermost layer of the skin, which is called our stratum corneum. and Depending on the size and the chemical property of the ingredient, three different things can happen. The first thing is it can be absorbed by skin cells, and this is 
if the ingredient is, is very small and permeable, they'll be uptaken by the skin cells and processed. Um, and after a period of time, this does enter the circulation. And this is true for the case of ingredients like vitamin C and vitamin E and even retinol or vitamin A. Another possibility is that they can go between skin cells. So this is if an ingredient is too large to be uptaken by skin cells, they move between the cells for a period of time and at such a point they enter the circulation to be excreted. The third possibility is if the ingredient is large and non-permeable on the skin. Um, and at this point it can be absorbed into glands um, uh, and in this process, we get what, what we call a reservoir effect. And this is where they can be stored in the glands for absorption for a period of time before they're released in the bloodstream. So this includes things like aluminium, um, which is the reason why there's controversy, controversy surrounding aluminium-containing deodorant. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we absolutely know that the skin's alive and... Um, it needs other alive ingredients to play with. Synthetic ingredients can't really give life to the skin. So, you know, I talk to people about thinking of their beauty products as food for the skin rather than just as, as cosmetics because we are really feeding the skin. So to answer your question, what, what should we be avoiding? Um, parabens is is an absolutely um, big one to avoid. I mentioned that at the beginning of the conversation. Um, yeah. Parabens are essentially synthetic preservatives and they're hugely abundant in skincare deodorants. They act as a preservative mm. to improve shelf life. Um, but they mimic estrogen in the body, so they're, they're known hormone disruptors. So absolutely for anyone with any hormonal issues, we need to be avoiding parabens. Um they, they can also wreak a bit of havoc on our nervous system and immune system. Um, and there have been links to, to paraben levels and, and birth defects. So we absolutely should be avoiding parabens where possible. Um, another one is the synthetic fragrances, which I, I mentioned earlier. Again, these are endocrine disruptors. They mimic hormones in the body. Um, and boy, you can smell the difference. I've, I've smelt them. I used to work in a pharmacy and whenever we'd get in these cheap, horrible fragrances, they were, they mm. were disgusting. Yeah. Evidently, like to me, obviously, Absolutely. You, you know, it wasn't just being me being snobby. They would, there's the, the real horribleness about them. Yeah. You, you can, you can tell straight away, can't you? you oh can yeah. Tell straight away when you're using, um, a synthetic fragrance. And you know, that's true for, for perfumes, um, as well, um, yeah, really um, not good hormonal disruptors. And it's just there's so many incredible essential oils available in our toolkit that we can blend up and create amazing scents with mm. that it's, it seems absurd almost that we're using synthetic ones when we can be using good quality, pure essential oils that then have a function, and that's that's what I talk about, that, that ingredients need to have a, a really good function um, on the body. So you can use essential oils not only to make a product smell good, and we, we know that people are driven by nice smells, but it goes deeper than that because then it has an action and a function on the skin as well. So, yeah, it's to me, you get more bang for your buck when, you, when you're using a really good quality product. Yeah. You, you, you'll get action out of it. So two questions that have just peaked in my mind there are firstly you say bang for buck so we've got to cover cost versus mm -hmm. the cost of the of the you know the normal um mm. skincare ranges the, mm. the other one though is when you say they have a function are you then getting into a claim and therefore you run into issues with the tga like where where's the line of yeah, having sure. a function and making a claim yeah look and it is it's a tiny bit of a gray area um yeah you can't you can't make direct claims um mm but you can talk about actions. So right. you might be able to, it's, it's, all in the, it's all in the wording, yep. relieves, refreshing, as opposed to eliminates, you know. So there are absolute guidelines set out by the ACCC on what you can and can't claim yep. and say that it, it does. But you can certainly talk about um, 
things like cell turnover and regenerating cells and, and there, there are ways you, you need to phrase that. Yeah, so something like saying refreshes the skin and, and mm. skin regeneration has mm. something to do with uh, a functionality, whereas dry skin or dermatitis, that would be a claim. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And so on to that other part, and that is when you're saying, you know, like one makeup house says, you know, because I'm worth it. And I think it's really interesting that my wife, thrifty lady that she is, will never, uh-huh. ever buy <laughs> um, her makeup at full price. So it's like, <laughs> well, what's the value to her of that? Um, whereas if something has a true nutritive value, well, there's yes. a real difference in value to mm. the customer, the patient, the person. Mm-hmm. How do you then get across? Well, what's their value? Their value is, I, I think their value is the results that they're getting from it. Um, yeah, to me, that's that's the value. And I just see skincare as so much more than just this topical application of products. You know, it's there's no magic pill. There's, there's no magical moisturiser you can put on to eliminate acne. It's so much deeper than that. And, and and that's the value that we try and give to people is the education is teaching them that, that beauty begins on the inside, yes. um, that the value is in the results they'll see on the skin. So it's, it's more about more than just what you're applying to the skin. It's yeah. so much more than that. Indeed, you, you, um, you've, it's been said about you, you know, you always talk about beauty from the inside out. So how important and how do you how important are these other areas that we need to address particularly if there is a problem area that's yeah. being presented on the skin and you've got a skincare line but how then do you talk to your customers about saying listen this isn't all that you need to do like how do you get that across in a marketing way or you know so, in, in information Really good question this is something I'm hugely passionate about at the moment and, and really working on how we're getting this message out. Mm. So I, I coined this term beauty from the inside out from both physical and, and physiological aspects. And uh, I feel really excited to talk to young women about positive self-body image. Mm. You know, we're at a time where 70% of adolescent girls have body image dysfunction eating disorders represent something like a third most common chronic illness for females. We're constantly bombarded with messages and information that you're never good enough. Mm. Um, you know, and we can limit the amount of magazines and TV shows that our children are watching, but it's increasingly difficult to monitor the images that are everywhere. You know, you drive behind a bus and the back of the bus tells you that you need longer eyelashes, you need a fake tan, you know, and so on. And then there's the rise of social media mm. showing young girls the false reality oh. of perfection. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. Like nobody is not airbrushed. That, that exactly. Was, that's really poor syntax, but <laughs> it's a double negative. But I know. Everybody's airbrushed. I, I know. Everybody's changing themselves to be something that they think is going to be better. Going to, you know, Absolutely. I'll, people will accept me if I'm like that. Absolutely. I know. And so... How are we getting this across? We're, we're um, creating messages and we're, we're talking about something deeper than just beauty. We're, we're educating young women what is going on in their bodies. You know, if we're talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome um, that might result in acne, we're educating them about what is polycystic ovarian syndrome, what's going on in the body that might be causing it to result in, in, in poor skin and the fact that you need to address that inside in order to address the outside. And we're trying to teach them, you know, just to love their skin and, yeah. and to respect their body by nurturing it with good food and a healthy mind. So, you know, when we're considering the internal factors that affect skin, um, that direct connection between gut and skin it's still sometimes overlooked. We're becoming more and more aware of the critical role that um, the insides play in the manifestations that we see on the skin. Um, a, a big thing for me is inflammation. Mm, I feel huge. like inflammation is almost the basis of aging in all systems, you know, including the skin. Mm. Um, 
we can have deterioration of the brain or the heart muscle, but, but also the skin. And a really hot topic in the skincare world right now is this um, idea of glycation, which is essentially the idea that when blood sugar goes up too rapidly, the sugar itself attaches it to collagen yep. and this makes the skin quite stiff and inflexible, which um, in turn loses our elastic resilience in the skin and gives you deeper wrinkles and uh, <laughs> makes you look older. Yep. Um, so, so what's happening here is that when we're um, digesting glucose from our carbs or sugars, um, they can attach proteins to the collagen and these things uh, will form molecules called ages, which yep. are advanced glycation end products. And these essentially degrade collagen and elastin, which makes them harden, a bit like uh, rust um, degrades metal. Yes. And that's not just evident in the skin, but in all areas of the body. Absolutely. Brain, it's, liver. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's in all areas. And yeah. and this there's there's only been in vitro studies done so far on the link between glycation and skin. Mm. Um and I think it's a really interesting question um that we need to make about the connection between um glycation and the skin at the moment yes absolutely like you said we know about its involvement with heart tissue and and all around the body but i think um we need to do a lot more research in the role of um in in human controlled studies to show the relevance of glycation to the skin yeah um you know and the same thing goes for intestinal permeability um there's, there's plenty of studies to show that increased permeability is an issue for, for patients with, with acne. Um, the gut flora also influences the skin. Mm. You know, we can talk about substance P, um, which is the neuropeptide oh, yeah. <laughs> that we produce in the gut and the brain, but also the skin. And yeah. this plays a huge role in skin conditions. Ah, now hang on. I didn't know about this. Mm. Tell me so, about this. Tell us about this. Mm. So altered um, gut dysbiosis essentially promotes the release of, of substance P, yeah. not only in the gut but also into the skin. Um, and and that is where we're seeing the rise of, of acne and, and poor skin health. So right. we know that probiotics itself and improving the gut microbiome will improve the response um, to skin health. Yeah. Can I ask you, you know, given that, Part of the start of your business was the results that you were seeing from your customers, your family, your friends, and those people that you were supplying way back when you were working with ARL. Mm. Part of your the fire that burnt within you was because of the results that they saw. Mm-hmm. Given that we weren't necessarily, we didn't necessarily know back then what we were seeing. Now we talk about substance P and skin glycation, mm. advanced mm. glycation end products. Have you seen reversal of... Um, skin aging, the depth of wrinkles, for instance, on a mm. permanent or at least semi-permanent basis rather than a transient basis only while you've got that product on your skin, like with some of these, you know, skin sure. care things that you can waft in front of your, you can waft your hand in front of them sure, and you can yes. see the eye, yeah, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, we do get sent photos from our customers mm. um, that show improvement, so quite a lot. Um always amazed um, by what people tell me and what they show me. Um, and, yeah, we'll often see photos that people send in of before and after, particularly of things like acne, of psoriasis. Um, we work a lot with um, women with rosacea as well who, who get really uh, good results uh. um, with this skincare. Um, in terms of wrinkling and ageing, no, I haven't really um, seen too much of that. I did want to um, – I've always wanted to do testing on someone pre- and post-skincare. I would mm. love to look at antioxidant levels in the blood mm. after using – but there's too many variables to do something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's really only anecdotal what we're seeing from people. I don't really delve into that word anti-aging too much because – Aging's a natural process. It's something optimal aging. 
you know, absolutely optimal ageing. I love that. This anti-ageing thing, it's a, it's a, a misnomer. Mm. We cannot anti-age. There are those mm. lucky few that have genes and look after their skin and avoid sunlight and bad foods and smoking and alcohol and stress and they're able to maintain a plush complexion. And there are some unlucky people that might have a, a different genetic predisposition and, and they are the people that might have to work really, really hard at maintaining their skin. Mm. Um, oh, the skin reveals everything. It really does. And you're right. It's, you know, it's absolutely genetics, but... A huge part of it is 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 lifestyle how and you environment take care of it. Yeah, as well. For sure. Yeah, how you take care of it, and it is really important to to take care of your skin and hydrate it. You know, um, we use an ingredient, um, green tea, Camellia sinensis, yeah. which I just love working with. I, I I remember falling in love with with green tea anyway, um, studying herbal medicine, but. And I knew I wanted to include it in skincare and I probably included it a bit naively and then it was only later on that I realized the incredible benefits. Um, you know, and there have been studies, there aren't too many studies with um, topical herbals and skin. Yes, that's um, right. But, but some of them are, are really interesting and, and there is a, a clinical study on, on green tea mm. where women actually applied it to their forearm and they checked it. Oh, various intervals. I think it was two hours and maybe 15 and 30 days later. Um, and they looked at the water content and they were looking for water loss, uh, water loss, and they were looking at skin elastic ratio, various other markers to essentially determine hydration. And um, it did show that it has a very long-term moisturising effect um, compared with um, the controls. So. You know, there are some more studies emerging on what it can do from from that aspect of hydration and moisturisation in terms of ingredients. Do you find with your knowledge of herbal medicine, do you now even look for possible applications that haven't been traditionally known for the use Mm. in skincare? Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, Yeah, as I go into product development and product formulation, I delve back into herbal medicine and look at the actions and, you know, I I never follow trends. I never follow what's happening and what are other people putting in skincare. I take it right back to basics and pull out the herbal medicine books and look at the actions Mm -hmm. and then look at any latest research and look at what um, potential effects it can have on the skin. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of the formulation is is driven by all my original learnings in in, in herbal medicine, and it's a it's it's just an incredible toolkit of stuff. I mean, I use gotcha cola and so many amazing um, herbals that have really profound effects on the skin. Yeah, and do you, do you tend to use fluid extracts and and utilize them, or do you tend to use oils or I guess essential oils would be limiting because I've never seen a gotchu cola oil. But uh. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it depends. So I often use a lot of them are extracts. Um, some of them are um, based in based in oil. So a lot of them are three percent in jojoba. It, it depends on the ingredient and how it's available, and and then how it will act on the skin as well. Yeah. So it really depends ingredient to ingredient what the best way of getting it into the skin is. You know, and that's like vitamin C. I know um, many years ago I was really wanting to work with vitamin C in skincare and there just wasn't a stable form of vitamin C available. And right. it's come a long way since then and there's now you know, better forms of vitamin C that are more bioavailable and we're able to now use them in skincare. So the whole industry is just improving so much and so the access of what we can use is just getting better and better. We did cover a couple of preservatives but I've got to ask you things like sodium laurel sulfate or sodium Mm. laureth sulfate am I am I saying the right terms there? You are and and are there differences and are they good or bad and what other ones are bad? Yeah sure so sodium laurel sulfate sodium laurel sulfate it's got quite a few different um Names is essentially the detergent that gives 
cleansers or soaps or shampoos, their flammability action. And we're, we're conditioned to think that for something to work and clean well, it needs to foam a lot. Um, so we've, we've got this internal conditioning that, that, that foamability equals good cleaning. And yeah. it's, it's not the case. No. Um, look, the, the laurel sulfates, um, uh, known toxins, they're, they're known to cause skin irritation. Um, again, they, they mimic estrogen activity in the body. Um, you know, they're used in car washes and garage floor cleaners and engine degreases. Um, and probably about 90% of personal, um, care products that, that foam as well. Completely unnecessary. There, there's other things that we can use to give a, a light foaming action. I use a, um, extract of coconut in our hand soap, which gives a bit of lathering to the hand soap because people still do like that foamability action. Um, but it's best to avoid um, the sodium laurel sulfates, particularly if you are prone to any allergic skin or any skin sensitivities. It's, it's just best to avoid avoid that one. So just as a last question for you, Jackie, and that is with regards to your entrepreneurial journey in developing a highly successful business over a number of years, you've learned some very hard lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. And there's an old saying when you lose, what is it? When you lose, don't lose the lesson. Yeah. You know, lots of lessons. And I think for people that are interested in embarking on a journey in skincare, I think that the big message is get it right from the start. Do your research from the start in terms of labeling requirements, cosmetic claims, suppliers, That get that right at the start because mm. it's... Um, it is becoming more and more regulated and you need to make sure that's done it really right at the start. I think one of the big um, myths about skincare and preservatives are that um, vitamin E and rosemary extract um, are sufficient preservatives. Right. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not really the case. Um, you know, they, they will provide some protection against rancidity, but... Products, if you're not using a preservative, um, you know, it needs to be used in a week and needs to be put in the fridge. And just because something looks okay doesn't necessarily mean it's not growing anything yeah. um, funky in it. So, um, you know, choosing preservatives, um, and preservatives are really important whenever there's uh, a water base to the product, even if that's coming in contact with water, something like a scrub, when we um, apply that with wet fingers, a preservative is still essential for that to prevent microbial growth. Mm-hmm. So getting microbial testing done on the products is, is really important as well, and it's actually a legal requirement. So I think doing your, um, doing your research and getting it right from the beginning is really important so that you don't have to face any obstacles. <laughs> yeah down the line. Um, but when you do face an obstacle, don't lose, you, you, as you are bound to do, and I think this is the yeah. big thing with any entrepreneurial venture, um, that you are bound to encounter hurdles. And I think the lesson is how you jump over that hurdle. And indeed, when you fall off that hurdle, how you get up. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you learn from it, you gain what you can from it, and you move on and you I, I talk about pivoting. I just It's a constant pivot. You just have to change direction and turn around all the time based on, on what comes across. And it, it never stops. It, it never stops. Yep, that's why it's Forever called a pivot. Changing. That's right. <laughs> Jackie Evans, I can't thank you enough for joining us on FX Medicine today, taking us through your career, but also the salient advice with regards to healthy skin care using natural ingredients. I, I, I really, employ, I really um, admire you for what you've done. Well done. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Registrations are now open for the joint AMA Australian and New Zealand Conference and Retreat to be held from April the 11th to 15th in Auckland, New Zealand, 2018. To tell us more, we have AIMA President Dr Penny Caldicott on the line. How are you, Penny? I'm great. Thank you, Andrew. Now, 
Tell us who'll be speaking at the AIMA conference and what will delegates take away? So this conference is Personalised Medicine, the New Healthcare Revolution, and we've got a, a wonderful lot of speakers, beginning with Dr Bruce Lipton, who's going to be talking about new biology, new medicine and evolution in healthcare. We've got Denise Foness, who's going to talk about the clinical application of nutrigenomics, epigenetics, and personalised medicine in Australia and New Zealand, and also going to give us the, the epigenetics 101. We've got um, Matt Ryman, who's going to be talking in detail about biotypology. Justin Sinclair, who's going to be speaking about the ethnopharmacology of cannabis, Neolithic to now. We've got Sue Gray and Tori Catherwood, uh, two New Zealanders, a lawyer and a medical student who are going to be speaking about medical marijuana. We've got Professor Julie Rutledge talking about serum nutrient levels and are they important in predicting benefits from nutritional therapies. Lawrence Katsaris, who's speaking about the microbiome, which is, he says is the forgotten genome in personalised medicine. We've got Nicole Bilschma and Carolyn Ladowski, epigenetics and environmental toxins. Genetics loads a gun, the environment pulls the trigger. We've got Professor Stephen Myers, whose talk is yet to be arranged, but always great value. Carolyn E is Dr. Carolyn E was going to speak about the freedom fighters for integrative medicine. Um, in her, she's got a couple of really key positions in Australia in integrative medicine. And then we've got two workshop sessions, one on advocacy for doctors and one on working together. So what does it look like? What kind of experiences can we have working together with other practitioners? What are the models and the referral letter templates that um, AIM has been generating for communication between practitioners and doctors? Now, the conference runs from the 14th to the 15th of April. There's also the retreat which runs from the 11th to the 13th of April. Tell us a little bit about that, Penny. This is going to be a fantastic experiential lifestyle medicine retreat and it's going to be on Waiheke Island for two days and your phenotype is going to be measured on the afternoon of the first day and you get to live this retreat according to your phenotype with a chef that's going to cook every meal for you individually. Um, if you don't understand all about the phenotype, that's fine because you can go on our website where there's an extended explanation and information about this and you can always contact us as well if you've got some more questions. Sounds fantastic. How can we register for tickets? You can go straight to our website, which is aima.ph360.me. You can register for tickets there. There's extended information and you can contact us if you need more information. I'd urge all natural health practitioners to attend promises to be a great event. Thank you, Andrew.